Suffice it to say, what we did last session was lay down a biblical basis, biblical groundwork for a presentation of the great controversy theme. Okay? Um, we established the concept of the conflict between Christ and Satan. We worked it through. We established the concept that there must be demonstration. God can't get off the hook by saying, oh, I'm right. Go away. He has to demonstrate that he's right. That's his own approach. We saw that in the book of Job. Okay? By our estimation, my estimation, I won't blame anybody else, by my estimation, 106 people died so that Job, so that God could demonstrate Job's loyalty. Okay? That's serious stuff. You don't think so? Go out and kill 106 people and see what they do to you. Okay? <laughs> uh, no, don't do that. Um, okay? But that's, 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 that's serious stuff. Why is this controversy like that? Okay? Why did God do that to make a demonstration? Is it really defensible? It's a serious question. How do you, how do you, do, you know, if God's just doing that willy-nilly for the fun of it, like I said, you know, count me out. I'm not a Christian. Unless he has a very, very good reason for doing things like that, I'm gone. And I would tell you to leave too. Go find somebody else to serve. But he has good reasons. And the good reasons are the demonstration, the reuniting of things on earth and things in heaven through the demonstration of the church. I could have left the screen up. I spoke. No, I couldn't because I'm a different thing here now. But anyhow, um, you know, the church is to display the manifold wisdom of God to all the universe, the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Okay, that's, that's kind of where we left off. And we stopped with a presentation of the two contrasting principles of the government of God and the government of Satan. Now, I just want to, I'll just repeat that for those who are new here. Satan's basic principle of government comes down to this. This is my wording of it. I know what I want, and if it's necessary, I'll kill you so I can get it. I have to do that because I don't trust anyone else to take care of me. And countering that is the, pr the principles underlying Christ's kingdom. And they go like this. I know what's best for you. And if necessary, I will die so you have a chance to get it. I don't have to do that. I'm a free moral agent. I don't have to do that. But my father thinks it's best. And I trust his love and judgment. And I made the point at the very end that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus did not want to die for me. He didn't. That's why he said, not my will. His will was not to go to the cross for me. All the thrills and chills of spending eternity with Dave Feather were not enough. <laughs> that was not enough to convince him to go to the cross. Okay. He did it out of love and trust for his father. Okay? So that's, uh, those are the underlying principles of the two governments. In this session, we're going to try and cover, with that basis laid down, that, that foundation work laid down, we're going to show, and, and I'm not going to have it on the screen, I'm just going to be talking about it this time, okay? How do you tie, to, tie in all these different Adventist doctrines, the distinctive Adventist doctrines, the ones that we have a harder time selling to the public, okay? They fit like glove in hand or hand in glove, whichever way that goes. Um, <laughs> they fit really well in that great controversy 
scenario. Okay, so that's what we're going to be talking about in this session, and then the next session is is would be the last one, as I would give it to a non-advanced audience, where you bring it all together, and it's the most satisfying, logical thing in the world. It just makes the plan of salvation. It's just duh obvious that that's what it has to be. And you have to have all those parts. You have to have a sanctuary. You have to have a judgment. You have to have this. You have to have that. It's all, it all fits together. So that's, that's really where we're going with this. And so here's, here's, the, um, here's the progression, the way things would go. Uh, and I explained earlier that this is, this is drawn from a 10-sermon series. Okay, So we're going to cover sermons 2 through 9 in the next 40 minutes. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Okay. Sermon two is entitled, The Serpent Said. What do you suppose the serpent said? Okay. We just talked about in first sermon. What's that? Right. Perfect. Okay. In the last sermon, we said Satan was a liar from the beginning. So what do we do? We go, we take that and we key off of, and this thing has a beautiful progression. It just flows. This whole series flows. Okay. The, we, we've established that Satan's a liar from the beginning, so we go and we look at his first lie. Okay? So we're talking state of the dead, right? Okay? Um, hmm, that'll be, that'll be interesting. Okay, I've got to scroll down. Um, <clears throat> okay, so really the first introduction we have in Scripture is Garden of Eden. First thing we see is the snake lying to Eve, okay, and telling her that she deserves better than God gave her. Now, the implications behind that go right to the heart of Satan's principles. Um, tell you what, I've, I've mangled the whole thing up, but let's stop for a word of prayer here, and then we'll, we'll go on from there, okay? Father, we ask your special presence and blessing. We pray for your spirit to be here to open our eyes, clarify things in our mind, help us put pieces together, Partially because it will be a blessing to us, but more, Lord, because we want to be able to be a blessing to others. I pray that you would guide and bless in this session now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Satan comes along and he tells Eve, he says, you can get better than what God gave you. You deserve better. Don't you hate all those radio and TV ads? You know, it's always what you deserve. Oh, get the credit you deserve. Yeah, you probably got all the credit you deserve, man. <laughs> you know, get the respect. You, you probably have all the respect you deserve. You're probably getting what you deserve already. You know, but they always tell you to go for what you deserve. Okay, Satan did the same thing. Okay, what he's saying there is, Eve, you can't trust God to take care of you. That's his principle. Satan's fall stemmed from a lack of faith. He said, God is not going to take care of me. That's the underlying principle, lack of faith. Okay? And the moment you find that God's not going to take care of you, then you better do it yourself. And that's called selfishness. Okay? So those are his two principles. I'm going to get what I need because I'm important because I can't trust the other guy to take care of me. Okay? So you present it that way. Now you go through all the, in, in all of this, that's okay, don't worry about it. I'm not going to use it. That's going to be really creative here. Okay. <laughs> we'll try it down there. Maybe that'll work. Um, in all of this, I'm, I'm not going to be able to give you eight evangelistic sermons here. I'm not going to establish all the doctrines. Hopefully you already understand the state of the dead. Okay? If you don't, dead people are dead. Now you do. Okay? Let's move on from that. Okay? Uh, you know, hopefully you understand the judgment. You understand these things. I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm talking about how do you tie them into the great controversy theme. Okay? So, 
Satan tells Eve, you won't die. You will not surely die. What did Eve know about death? Nothing. What did anyone know about death? Nothing had ever died. Nothing in the entire universe had died yet. Well, so we're working beyond Eve's frame of reference. What do you call it when you are working beyond your frame of reference? It's the realm of faith. You don't know. You don't, you, you don't know what death's all about. You've never been there. I don't know what death, I mean, I've never experienced I know what the Bible tells me about death now. Eve didn't know anything about death. There will always be things beyond your realm of experience. Always. Why? Because God has an infinite universe. You haven't been there before. Okay? And there's going to come a day when God says, okay, everybody, please do not go to quadrant C, subsection 4, parasecond 3, delta 5, Q, P. Just stay out of that area today. You know? And people with faith will say, okay. And people with won't, that didn't have faith, there won't be any there. People that didn't have faith will say, oh, I don't know why, I can't go there. Oh, I didn't tell me it was going to supernova. Okay, you know what I mean? <laughs> what I'm saying? There's always going to be something out there, man. It's a big universe. There will always be things that are beyond your realm of experience, and there will always be a need for faith. Okay. So that's important. That's vastly important. Tie that in. Okay. Okay, so then we go through, and we're talking about, you shall not surely die, and all this sort of stuff, and you... Clarify all these things. Um, let's see, skipping on down next here's key question. Okay, where are Adam and Eve right now? Okay. Well, you're talking, you're still working on the state of the dead here. Where are Adam and Eve? You keep it, you keep it kind of personal, okay? And, you know, there's lots of different ideas out there. Some people say this, some people say that. You know? Some people say that they, when you die, you immediately go to paradise, okay? Uh, some people say, well, you know, there's two options. <laughs> you know, when you die, the good people go to paradise and the bad people, they go to hell. Okay? Uh, some people have come up with a place called purgatory. Some people believe in reincarnation. Yeah? Maybe you come back as a fish. Yeah? Millions of people believe that when you die, you enter the spirit world. You're just kind of floating someplace. You know, whatever. New agey type of a thing or something. I don't know. Um, some people think that when you die... You're a spirit, but you don't really go anywhere else, so you're still kind of floating around here. Okay? Then there are folks that say, when you're dead, man, you're just dead. It's like, it's all over. End of discussion. No, no, that's the atheist position. Okay? And finally, there's a group that say the Bible teaches that when a man dies, he rests quietly in the grave. Well, that's the Adventist position, obviously. Okay? Um, but what do we know about death? You've been dead? And I'm not talking clinical death, you know, maybe somebody had a heart attack here or something, you know, but that, that doesn't count. I mean dead, dead, really dead. You ever been really dead? No, you've never been really dead, okay? Well, good news, I know someone who was. And he's back. I was thinking of Jesus. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, that's right. And that, we have, we'd bring that in there too, yeah. But Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys to hell and death. You know? So not only was he there, but he took the keys when he left. That's good. Okay? Okay. So you're establishing, you know, 
a lot of this is normal, state of the dead type of stuff, okay? Uh, let's see, let me skip on down here and see where more we tie this in with the great controversy. You know, you bring in the dust and the breath and it makes a living soul, right? Everybody's familiar with that. Dust, breath, breath. Okay, okay. Everybody's all familiar with that. That's good. Um, <clears throat> along the way, you can tie in so many little odds and ends. Um, okay, so. <clears throat> ah, yes. So here's, here's the big tie-in. Um, okay. Right there. Um, <clears throat> get it back into the, the, this setting, the scenario, the conflict between Christ and Satan. Okay? We're going to use a military analogy. Anytime there's a war, the obvious goal is to win. Right? You want to make the other side surrender. But how do you do that? And there are many different ways. Okay? There's all the organizing of your army. That has to go on. But you establish what's known as command and control. An army without command and control is technically a mob. They may all want the same goal, but there's no organization to it. Okay? Command and control is essential in any military sort of a situation. That's the only way to get things coordinated. Without command and control, the battle is hopeless. It's called maintaining your own command and control. The other goal is what? <laughs> to disrupt the other guy's command and control. Okay. Um... If you can disrupt your opponent's command and control, then it places him at a huge disadvantage. But there's one thing you can do that's even better than disrupting. Corrupting. It's, it's one thing. I mean, if you can cut off the other guy so he can't send messages back and forth, that's great. You're happy to do that. But if you can step in, and send messages, and he thinks they're from headquarters, you just hit the gold mine of all military intelligence. Okay? Um, I, I tell stories about this. You know, there was, a, there was a British guy. Oh, I can't remember his name right now. There was a British guy. He was a magician in civilian life. And during World War II, the Brits tapped him on the shoulder and said, help us out. You're a master of deception. <laughs> and he, he did. He did. The whole city of e uh, Alexandria, Egypt, he recreated it out of cardboard and stuff about 10 miles down the beach. And every night they'd blank out, black out Alexandria, and they set up lights down here on the beach. And, and for two weeks, the Germans bombed Alexandria every single night and never hit the city. <laughs> okay? uh, he, he fooled them. Okay? Um, so anyhow, if you can possibly wow. disrupt or confuse but ideally corrupt, okay? If you, as uh, an army commander, could send a message to your enemy's army that looked like it came from their headquarters, and it said, surrender immediately, wouldn't you do it? This is why, th this is what spiritualism is. Spiritualism is nothing more than the establishment of a bogus 
line of communication from God. It's the corruption of divine command and control. This is why God said, regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards. Okay? A man also or a woman that hath a familiar spirit or that is a wizard shall surely be put to death. That's what you do despise. <laughs> you know? That's what you do despise. Okay? Um, okay. Um, okay, other specifics here. Um, okay. Then we're going on a little bit more, establishing the state of sleeping in death. Um, it starts to sound incredibly boring after a while. I use an illustration along the way, talk about Aunt Mabel. You know, if Aunt Mabel just recently died and she's up in heaven, wouldn't she want to help me? Wouldn't she? You know? Okay. Um, but you go through all the verses and different things, and eventually you get down to the point where you say, why in the world would I want to talk to Aunt Mabel? The Bible says the dead don't know anything. Why should I talk to her? She doesn't know anything. <laughs> She'd give me bad advice anyhow if she could, you know. Okay, now obviously that's a play on words. Okay, that's not, not saying that Mabel's ignorant, right? But okay, you're working this through, and, and you, keep the, you can keep all the way through that particular topic, and, and I think it's valid. You can keep uh, this great controversy theme very much alive all the way through that, okay? Um, a little side point, just for whatever it's worth. The saturation of the media with spiritualism, uh, it's, it, it reeks. What lo- I mean, hey, I don't have a TV, but what I hear of it, it reeks. Um, and it's not, it's not unknown. Um, way back when I was a kid, and we had a TV, unfortunately. Spent too much time watching it. Here's a trivia question for some of you. Now, hopefully, you didn't watch the garbage that I did as a kid. Anybody ever see a program called Bewitched? Bewitched. Trivia question for you. There was Darren and Samantha, the witch. What was Samantha's mother's name? Endora, as in the witch of Endor. Yeah. Those guys know what they're playing with. Okay. Okay. Well, I go all the way through the, the whole thing, and, and hopefully you've heard this covered before. You know, the witch of Endor is, a, is, a, is an absolutely great state of the dead passage to deal with. Okay. Uh, you can go through and just totally demolish this thing. Okay. Uh, the Bible says, and Samuel said, right? Says that. Has those words in there. And Samuel said, da 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 So is this really Samuel talking? That's always a question that comes up. The Bible said Samuel said, you know. Okay. Okay. So how do you explain that? Well, okay. Was this Samuel's spirit? Only if Samuel hadn't surely died. Satan's lie. Only if the dead know, do, do know some things, right? Only if they still have, are involved under the sun and all that sort of stuff. Okay, all those, those verses. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to skip over this. I'm going to run out of time for other things. Okay, let's go on. Um, <clears throat> okay, so finalize the point here. Spiritualism is, is, is the effort to corrupt 
And, and you know, it will be. Ellen White says the, the, the twin errors of Sunday sacredness and the state of the dead are the big ticket items at the end of time, okay? So it's an effort to corrupt God's communication channels with us, okay? Uh, <clears throat> second session is called Creating Confusion. And we start off with saying that uh, Satan told a lie. That's what he does, right? Okay. Uh, he's always, you know, in a, again, in a battle. I, I stick with that because it's a, you know, we're talking about a war, okay? In the battle, the, you always want to create confusion. There's always confusion. We call it the fog of war, right? You maybe read the book or heard about the book or whatever, okay? Um, but there's fog that happens just because things are going on wildly, but there's also fog that's, that's actually actively created by your opponent, okay? Um, <clears throat> so, we know that Satan starts off by lying about death. What if somebody figures out the truth about death? Do you think Satan puts all his eggs in a single basket? And obvious implication is no, he doesn't. But what's he going to do? Well, he's going to lie about something else, okay? Well, here's a... Um, We've been working, and I can't explain all the details of how we get to this. We're talk, we've been working with the verse, the soul that sinneth it shall die, right? Okay, Ezekiel 18. Satan, we know Satan lied about death. What else might he lie about? Okay, and I just, this is just, just standard public presentation type of stuff. You, you weave these things around to bring up what you want when you want it, okay? If he lies about death, is there anything else in this verse? The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Anything else that he might lie about? Well, sinning, okay, obviously. So th then you go off onto what is sin, okay? And the devil has created a massive amount of confusion on the topic of what is sin, okay? And you go through and you establish the idea that sin is a transgression of the law. You've heard that, okay? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and... Um, you know, this gives you a great opportunity, and, and, you know, when you're preparing a presentation, you always take every opportunity you get, you know, if it serves your purposes, right? Okay. So here's, here's one that I set up, okay? Uh, we're talking about God's law, and so I ask the question, what is God's law? Okay. And I say, this is a silly question. I almost feel like I should apologize for even taking time on something so simple and obvious. For thousands of years, people knew that the law of Jesus' government was the Ten Commandments. But with the advances of modern scholarship in the last few decades, there are some theologians out there who have tried to argue otherwise. So, just for their sake, let's demonstrate the obvious. And that gives you a chance to go off. You always set things up like that. You know, you just set it up so you can go down another path and make some points. And what we're doing here in this overkill, demonstrating that the Ten Commandments are God's law, is it gives all sorts of opportunity uh, to tie other things in. Um, let's see if I can just pick an illustration of that for you. Um, <clears throat> well, um, it, it gave me a chance to go over the Ten Commandments and, and just mention the Sabbath at this point, okay? Mention some of these other things. And just, just bring those up. You always want to bring things up in advance, you know, because you don't spring something totally new on somebody, okay? Um, okay. Um, so we get the state of the dead out of the way on this one. Actually, I'm, or no, I'm not state of the dead. I'm sorry. We get the, the perpetuity of the law and the fact that the Ten Commandments are binding, okay? Um, that's what we are working through that way. Okay. Um, 
again, this works out very nicely because we're talking about a conflict between two forms of government. Okay? So a focus on the law of the government is very logical in this context. A lot of times in other evangelistic settings, you know, focusing on, he's talking about the law, the law, the law, the law. Okay? Well, here we're talking about the competition between two forms of government. What are you going to talk about? You know, I mean, that's what defines a government is its law. So it, it, it comes in a different package, a different setting. And it's just, it's just a, uh, a nicer twist that way. Um, and it gives us a chance. Here, here's one that I, again, laying groundwork for later on. One of the devil's most successful tricks is to twist the definition of sin. Instead of the transgression of the law, he tells us that sin is... Well, lots of things. I don't even bother to say what all he comes up with. But every time we accept something other than God's definitions, it means that we end up thinking it's okay to do things that aren't in harmony with the Ten Commandments. We get tricked into looking at a man-made definition of right and wrong instead of looking at the one God gave. Okay. Now, what that's doing is laying the groundwork for the Sabbath later on. The whole concept of a man-made distinction or a definition of the law is just laying groundwork to, to do with the Sabbath later on. Okay. Um, <clears throat> okay. Um, let's go on. Let's go on. Maybe we'll get done before we have to. Um, that's okay. That's okay. There's lots of good things here. Um, near the end of this one, talking about the, the law, okay, I just kind of casually introduce a new character that we'll carry over into our next session. Not, not here, but the, the third sermon, okay, or the fourth sermon, I guess. Um, I mentioned that, uh, you know, in, in the book of Daniel, there's a prophecy. Not really going into a lot of prophecy yet here or anything, but there's a prophecy that talks about this, this strange little horn. And it's an evil thing. We can see that easily from what it says. It, it fights against God's people, etc., etc., etc. But the worst thing it does... Is it, um, okay, it thinks to change times and laws. And we're just, we're talking here about the perpetuity of the law. So anything that's changing God's law has got to be a bad thing, okay? So that's my introduction for the little horn. I don't develop it a whole lot. I just simply say, okay, so here you've got an evil power that's changing a law. Which law do you think an evil power is going to change? Well, it's going to try and change God's law, obviously, okay? So the Ten Commandments, and you're just all set up. Uh, I end up with, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay. Next session, or next sermon would be number four. This is on um, judgment and hellfire. Okay. And we pick up with the little horn. The little horn that was thinking to change times and laws. Now, I don't go into the times and laws any further at this point. We come back to that later on. But this little horn is... Um, an evil power, and Daniel, the book of Daniel is tracing the, um, uh, tracing the progress of the little horn. And what is it that finally stops the little horn? That would be Daniel 7, 21 and 22. Uh, yes, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. 
and then Daniel 7, 25 and 26, the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion, the little horn. Okay, so I, there's more verses there you can, you can bring into. The idea here is that we've got, a, we've got an evil power, this one that was thinking to change times and laws. How does God stop evil? Judgment. Judgment, okay? You, you get multiple things down here. How does this work? How does this work? Well, Daniel gives us this great portrayal of the judgment. Um, let's see, skipping on down to get to that. Um, <laughs> um, okay. Um, my apologies here. Um, Okay, getting down to talking about the judgment. And, you know, I'm not finding my verse right now, but, you know, um, uh, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of angels, you know, are there as the, the Ancient of Days sits and the books are opened, okay? Play a little math game. What's, what's, how many angels are we talking about? Well, if thousands of thousands, if you just take 1,000 times 1,000, and then you go to the 10,000 times 10,000, you end up with 101 million angels, okay? Now, that's not a huge number. I mean, that's not as big as L.A., you know, so whatever, okay. 101 million, 101 million angels, though, watching the judgment. And you establish the point, why are they watching? Why are they watching? The judgment is the way God ends the career of the little horn, but the angels are watching because they're concerned about heaven. This judgment, now this is talking about the pre-advent judgment, the investigative judgment. We had, I don't use those terms. I do make the point over and over that it comes before the second coming, but I don't use those terms in this particular series. But this judgment, well, you go through and you establish why is there, why is there a judgment? When is this judgment, okay? No, I'm, not, I'm not talking 1844. I don't deal with that here. I don't nail it down. This is not... You know, I'm, I'm dealing in more general terms, okay. I do say definitely before, before the second coming, okay. Why do we know it's before the second coming? Because Jesus comes and he brings his reward with him, okay. You can't know who to resurrect if you haven't had a judgment first, okay. The people who are resurrected at the second coming end up in heaven. The angels are very concerned about this. Not that they're worried, but they're interested. Let's put it that way, okay? You don't want mistakes made in the judgment. You end up with somebody in the wrong place. Not a good thing, okay? Um, so you're establishing that there's a purpose. The judgment has a, a, a very definite purpose. Its role, in, you know, the, the, actually the judgment comes in multiple steps, and we, we work that through. There's the investigative judgment, I don't use that term, but the pre-advent judgment, the judgment before Jesus comes, is designed to protect heaven. That's, that's, that's the purpose of it, to make sure that nobody gets there that doesn't belong there. Then there's a judgment during the millennium. What's its purpose? It's not to protect heaven. It's, it's to answer the questions of the righteous, basically. Okay. If you've got loved ones who aren't with you, you know where they're at. 
Are, and you have a chance to find out why. Yeah, right, OK. There's a reason behind all this, OK? And then, after the millennium, and we go through that more in another later, later sermon, but yeah, after the millennium, of course, the, the wicked are resurrected. They're about to attack the New Jerusalem. And judgment again, OK? Judgment is always the, always the response, okay? And this is you know, the great white throne judgment, okay? And at that judgment, the wicked are convinced. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, just and true are thy ways, Lord God Almighty. Their hearts aren't changed, but they are convinced. And what we've done is just, this would be classic business management, crisis management, you know, 101. Okay, if you've got bad publicity out there, you identify subsets of your population. Who can you deal with first? Well, the first ones you deal with are the angels in heaven. That was done at the cross. We don't speak of that as judgment so much, but their 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 initial concerns about the government of God were met at the cross. Okay, then you have the you have the uh, the judgment. Um, and you get the right people where they ought to be, okay? <laughs> um, there's another aspect, and I kind of brought this in a little too, so too soon here, but anyhow, it's okay. Um, but then you, you solve all the questions of the righteous during the millennium. You solve all the questions of the wicked at the end of the millennium, okay? Eventually, you get to the end, and there is not a soul in the entire universe that believes Satan's lie. It's, it's systematically one group at a time answering the questions, getting down to the point where God says, we took care of that now. We took care of that now, okay? Um, there's some pieces there that will come out better in, in the next hour's session, actually. Okay. Um, so that's, that's judgment. And then hellfire. Uh, oh, I'm not going to try and, and spend too much time on that. Um, we do establish it on through the, you know, with, with the same great controversy type of an approach, okay? Let's put it that way. Um, the fifth section is entitled Judgment Distorted, and this deals with conflicting ideas of salvation, okay? And these all fit very nicely, because now that we've got this, the, 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 the contrast between the principles of God's government and the principles of Satan's government, Uh, well, okay, let's put it this way. Once you know the story of Lucifer, how much money are you going to bet on once saved, always saved? You know, I mean, just, the whole thing just kind of, it's gone, okay? Um, Lucifer was saved. <laughs> he ain't now, <laughs> you know. Uh, once saved, always saved, just, just dies the death, <laughs> okay. Um, legalism. Um, well, an better yet, antinomianism, you know. Uh, there are people who say that the law is done away with. Christians who say the law is done away with. You want to bet? Now that you've got this mindset of a conflict of, of governmental principles, you're gonna, you, God's going to just trash his whole system now. He's, he's in this massive battle with Satan over the, the value of governmental principles. He's, oh, let's just do away with them. You know, that doesn't 
fly. Okay. Um, so another one that's it's really important, and I, I call it salvation by knowledge. Let me let me see if I can find this quickly. Um, a lot of people will tell you. Um, that um, you know there's certain things you have to know um, okay okay <clears throat> salvation by knowledge now you, we want to deal with this carefully is it a an asset to know the truth? Yes, it's an asset to know the truth. Are you saved by knowing the truth? No, you're not saved by knowing the truth. Are you lost because you don't know the truth? Well, there's an effect that increases the likelihood of your being lost. But are you lost because you don't know the truth? No, you're not lost because you don't know the truth. Okay? Salvation is not determined by knowledge. Okay? Um, a lot of people will tell you roughly that it is. I mean, uh, and, and also it's a form of legalism works righteousness you know the whole thing is you know you must confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and then you'll be saved now that's a good Bible verse okay but there are folks who say that that's that's a literal you know if you if you say the words once man you're saved okay okay it's kind of a once saved always saved type of a thing okay um, and if you don't know that you're automatically lost that's a really really harsh view on the unevangelized world you know I don't see God being that harsh. And so we talk about um, Romans and you know, the, the, the Gentiles who are a law to themselves. They do what, what the Spirit writes in their hearts. He writes it in their hearts. That's the new covenant. Okay? So you can be saved without the knowledge of the gospel. You can. When the principles of God's government are in your heart. Okay? Now, let's see. <clears throat> Um, well, Okay, um, boy, some of these things are just too big and involved to try and take time with them here right now. Um, okay, by, but, by, <coughs> but by eliminating salvation by knowledge, um, you can, again, come back and put an emphasis on faith, and that becomes very, very important. Um, <coughs> Okay. Um, okay. The idea of salvation by knowledge. Here's a here's a section I wanted here. There's a second form of this lie. It goes like this: You have to believe what I believe, or you're just lost. In fact, if you don't believe what I believe, you're probably of the devil. And if you're of the devil, maybe I ought to just kill you so the world will be a better place. Wow. Okay. Well, that's roughly how. <laughs> that's that's. A, um, well, okay. I'll just tell you the way I tell it here. Now, that may sound foolish, worded like that, but think back over the last few thousand years of history. Do you remember ever hearing about a religious war? 
most of them have been religious, you know? <laughs> if you haven't, you flunked every history class you ever took. You know, we've had pagans against Jews, Jews against Christians, pagans against Christians. There were Christians against Jews, Catholics against Protestants, Protestants against Protestants. Catholics against Muslims, Muslims against Hindus, and just about every other combination you can think of, okay? Uh, all of this is based on the idea that what you believe determines whether or not you will be saved. But that's a lie, okay? What you believe is not what saves you. Okay, that's a delicate line to watch, but I want to... to uh, Okay. Um, How do you tell someone who's never heard the gospel that they have to believe that? Exactly right. Yep. So that's my point is that there is not a specific salvation by knowledge component. I have to know this. I do not have to know. I mean, nobody before the Old Testament knew about Jesus, or before the New Testament knew about Jesus, you know? They may have, may have understood, you know, some of the symbolism, but probably that was, just to be honest, I mean, how much attention did they pay to that? There were a lot of people that would have had to do their own studying, let's put it that way, because it was never lived out in the Old Testament. But yeah, okay. Um, oh, let's see. Um, we talk about universalism, right? And that's just dumb. Don't, don't tell me you believe the Bible and believe universalism, okay? Behold, the Lord come with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, I want to get to this. Here we go. Our last distortion of the judgment is sadly actually quite popular, even though in some ways it's about the least logical of them all. It combines bits and pieces of all the other distortions we've talked about. I know you've heard of it, but instead of giving you the name, let me tell you about the different pieces of this mess. It's a bit like legalism, because it says that salvation depends on whether or not I've done this one particular thing, regardless of whether my heart has been changed or not. I've got to do this one thing, okay? It's kind of like antinomianism, because it says that after I've done this one special thing, I really don't have to pay any attention to God's law. It's sort of like salvation by knowledge, because if I don't know the special formula for being saved, well, I'm just toast for the fires of hell. Case closed. And its end result is like universalism, because it would open heaven's gates to a whole crowd who still live by the principles of Satan's government. It's a terrible idea. It really is terrible. It's leading millions of people down a path toward eternity. Fortunately, there's a Bible story that just totally refutes this whole nonsensical idea. And you heard it the first night of our meetings. It's the story of Satan who was once known as Lucifer, the bearer of divine light, the angel who was perfect in all his ways until iniquity was found in him. You figured out what I'm talking about, haven't you? Yes, I'm talking about the teaching of once saved, always saved, or my salvation depends on my saying just once that I accept Jesus as my Savior. It doesn't matter if I even know what I mean. Doesn't matter if my heart has been changed. It just matters that I say it. That's legalism, friends. And once I'm saved, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. Nothing I can do will change it. I'm going to heaven no matter how completely I break the commandments or how often I do it. For me, the old law has been done away with. That's antinomianism. Pity the poor soul who never learns the magic words. 
no matter how much they love the Lord's principles, no matter how he has written his holy law in their heart, it's just too bad because they never said the right thing. That's nothing more nor less than salvation by knowledge. And pity the angels in heaven. If ever anyone was saved at one time, it must have been Lucifer. So I guess that whole war in heaven thing and casting out the old serpent, it must have all just been a big mistake. So open the gates, Gabriel, and let's sin back in. Just doesn't make any sense, okay? Um, that's once saved, always saved. And that's, the, that's about the most popular of salvation theories running around out there on the street. It's utterly stupid. And it just falls so nicely in, in this, this approach. Okay, we're running out of time. Let's go on. Um, I'm going to switch pages. That was judgment. Okay, uh, judgment distorted. The devil's stand-in. This would be the sixth one. It goes back to the little horn. We already introduced the little horn. It wants to change times and laws. But now we have to go through and actually identify the papacy. Okay, so we do that. Okay. Number seven is the rapture. Um, that one is tied in, but it, it, uh, I'm going to encourage you to stay for my next session um, because it's, it's, it's tied in. The, the rapture, the whole, the whole rapture theology is nothing but a setup for Satan's last impersonation of Christ. Okay, I mean, the impersonation of Christ by Satan. Okay, the whole rapture thing is a setup for Satan's absolute last ditch effort to derail the plan of salvation and that's what we'll have in our next next presentation then the last the well number eight and number nine deal with the mark versus the seal the mark of the beast seal of god and we we work all through that and all sorts of connections and things like that but eventually we end up clearly identifying of course you know sunday yet in the future as the mark of the beast sabbath as the seal of god Incidentally, quickly, the seal of God, you've, you've, you know, it has the name, the, the title, the jurisdiction, all that sort of stuff. That's good. Um, the other thing that's important about the Sabbath is that it's the least defensible of the commandments. You know, I can give you good logic for all the other nine. Okay? Why should I not kill people? Because my example increases the likelihood that they will kill me. Okay? Same thing for stealing. Same thing for adultery, same thing for lying, right? Okay? You know, the more I do it, the more, you know, what goes around comes around. Everybody knows that, okay? Um, anybody over the age of 25 or 30 knows that kids ought to honor their father or mother. That's easy, <laughs> okay? Uh, there may be some young ones that would question that, but you know. Um, you go to the first four, have no other gods before me. Well, once the moment you've accepted a supreme being, by definition, you can't have a god before him. I mean, that's just dumb, okay? Totally illogical. Don't create images. That makes good sense, okay? Uh, you're always going to misrepresent a supreme being, so why do something that, that lowers the conception? That's simple to deal with, okay? Don't take his name in vain. And incidentally, I do something with that on through here all the way. Taking God's name in vain is not, in my humble estimation, only swearing. It's calling yourself a Christian when you're not. Wow. To take the name of Christ and not live up to it is taking his name in vain. Okay? Wow. This is, this is the, the basis for, I mean, they, they accuse Jesus of, of, of um, blasphemy. He took the name of God. He just didn't take it in vain. Of course he took it. It was his. <laughs> you can have the name Christian. But don't mess with it. <laughs> Don't mess with it, okay? Um, so, okay, all that makes sense. The fourth commandment, really hard to defend. You can make, make a good physiological case that arrest one day in seven. Yeah, that's a good thing. Okay. 
Um, back in World War II, they tried one day in 10. It didn't work so well. Actually, the efficiency dropped. Uh, one day in seven is better. How in the world do you say this day, not that day? You know? And what you've got is a situation where this one commandment is the most seemingly arbitrary of all the commandments. There's not a reason behind it. God just simply said, this day. This day. It's much like the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There's not a reason given. It's just this day, okay? And Yes, but... Yes, well, you can say that. It's, it's even more arbitrary than tree of knowledge. I like your point. Okay, it's the most arbitrary. <laughs> it's the most arbitrary of them all, okay? Um, and yes, you can keep, but, but hey, there's a lot of, a lot of people well, on Sunday. There are a lot, I understand that. You can, you can say it as a memorial, but there's a lot of Sunday keepers who would say that they're doing the same thing. Why do I have to do it this day? Why can't I do it that way? That, that element is, is hard to... Exactly right. That's my point. It's because he said it, okay? God has to have a commandment that appears totally arbitrary in order to test faith. Keeping the commandments is not a test of logic and intelligence. It's an absolutely mandatory thing that there be one that appears arbitrary, okay? You can Okay, bless you, sister. <laughs> okay. It's, yes, I, I, I agree with that. Yes, but he's also the one who said, this is the way I want that remembered. He could have said, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yes, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But <laughs> to most of the world, it doesn't make a hill of beans worth a difference. They don't see the significance of it. I know it. He said it. And that's my point. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll, we'll come to that. Trust me. I'm, I'm on your side. <laughs> but that's in my next presentation, not this one. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and the mark of the beast, um, that whole thing is all, all set up. Okay. And I'm going to break so we have enough time to do the next. The next one is where all the pieces come together. And it's, it's just a thing of beauty. I love it. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.